Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour two. Why, hello. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Stacey Abrams wants you to know nothing in the Bible condemns abortion other than that whole thou shalt not murder bit. Um, nothing else in the Bible. Um, the, the whole stitch you together in your mother's womb. Um, the John the Baptist leaping in the womb at the presence of Mary who had just conceived. None, none of that stuff talks about abortion. None, none doesn't even hit at it. So Christians can vote for Abrams, according to her. My goodness gracious. All right. I got to talk about something new. I got to talk about a column uh, from Mr. Olson uh, at the Washington Post. It, it, he's been making, essentially making the same post or same um, statements and arguments that I've been making, but he actually did the, the deeper dive data. He's got an opinion column at the Washington Post. Candidate quality won't be enough to save the Senate for Democrats. Now, I want to talk about this my own way. I don't want to have to read his whole column here. But he did what I've been telling you. Uh, I, I glanced at it, and he did a deeper dive of it. He went back to 2014. At this time in 2014, the Democrats sailed into the lead on the generic ballot. Now, keep in mind, they're not in the lead on the generic ballot right now. Republicans are, but only by two-tenths of a percent. At this time in 2014, the Democrats were up by about seven-tenths of a percent. But not only that, see if this sounds familiar to you, and this is from uh, Henry Olson. In 2014, longtime Democratic senators ran as much as nine points ahead of President Obama's job approval in their state. But most still lost— Despite significantly outrunning the president, no Democrat in a contested race ran more than five points ahead of Obama's job approval rating in 2016. Sound familiar? Back in 2014, Democrats argued that their moderate incumbents could win re-election despite President Obama's declining job approval. Polls in mid-July of that year showed Democrats ahead or less than a point behind in states like Louisiana, Arkansas, Georgia, and Iowa. Those advantages disappeared as the partisan fundamentals asserted themselves in the fall, and Democrats lost those races by big margins. This happened again to Democrat Steve Bullock in his campaign for Montana's Senate seat in 2020. Bullock had long won elections statewide as a moderate Democratic governor, regularly winning votes from Republicans. Summertime polls had Bullock ahead, and even polls right before Election Day had him ahead or within the margin of error, but he lost by 10 points, as Republican Steve Daines ran only four points behind Trump's job approval. There are clear clues that this reassertion of partisanship might happen again in 2022. The most recent political morning consult poll has Democrats up by four points in the generic congressional ballot better than they did in 2020's House election. 
That's mainly because partisans are backing their parties. A narrow plurality of independents didn't choose between the parties, while 35% are backing Democrats. The same poll found that only 34% of independents approved of Biden's job performance. So nearly all the undecided voters are independent voters who don't approve of Biden. What direction do you think they will break when they vote in November? It's true. Only two GOP nominees in 2020 or 2018 ran 10 points or more ahead of Trump's job approval. Susan Collins went 10 points ahead in 2020. Patrick Morrissey went 17 points below Trump's job approval to Joe Manchin in 2018. Now, let's step back. Larger picture. The media would have you believe Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, Herschel Walker, Adam Laxalt, Ron Johnson, they can't win. The media would have you believe they're bad candidates. You know what? Some of them aren't good candidates. Let's be honest. I'm, I'm not going to dance around it. Some of them are great candidates. Dr. Oz is not a good fit for Pennsylvania, but he can win. Herschel Walker is a good fit for Georgia. He's just not a strong candidate in part because uh, he was very protected in the primary. He didn't have to to sort out the campaign weaknesses. He's doing it in real time in the general, but he can win. J.D. Vance is not actually a bad candidate in Ohio. The media doesn't like him because he's not Tim Ryan, a man who has wooed the media his entire life while he's been in Washington, D.C., Adam Laxalt is actually a very good candidate in Nevada. He's won statewide. Ron Johnson, I I think he's kind of a a weird dude, but the man's won twice in Wisconsin in unfavorable times. Remember, both times that Ron Johnson won his election the first time and his reelection, all of the polling showed that Ron Johnson was losing. Until a run-up to Election Day, Ron Johnson was losing in every poll. In North Carolina, Republican Tom Tillis won re-election. Was it Cal Cunningham or Joe Cunningham, whatever? And Cunningham was ahead in every poll. Tillis won. Last year, Glenn Youngkin was behind in every poll until the week before the election in November of 2021 in Virginia. And he won. Remember South Carolina 2020, Lindsey Graham, even Lindsey Graham's own internal polling showed he had a problem against what's his name over there, who's now the DNC chairman. I mean, I I remember I was getting text messages from friends who were working with Graham saying, this is kind of nuts. We don't know what's going on. Trump must be dragging everybody down. It's got to be Trump. Graham is, this is a nail biter for Trump or for, for Lindsey Graham, except it wasn't. It was a blowout. Remember Ted Cruz in Texas? He was going to be destroyed in 2018 by Beto. Except he wasn't, and he didn't. Same thing now. People think that Beto O'Rourke is going to surge in November. I mean, all the Democrats have this like like fantasy land dream that Texas is turning blue, and it never does. Georgia is more of a swing state than Texas. And yet, even in Georgia, Brian Kemp is already ahead of Stacey Abrams in the gubernatorial polling. This time, 2018, she was ahead. 
That's why I still think Herschel Walker pulls it off because Herschel Walker, four or five points behind, that's about where Republicans tend to be in the polling this time of year. And then they surge in October in Georgia. They always have. But the media wants to get the narrative out right now. And the media wants to define the race right now by the polling right now. But history has too many examples, way too many examples, of the polling being wrong now. Now, why is the polling wrong? Well, let's go back to the student loan issue. There is a realignment happening in the country, and we're seeing working class voters who are not white are moving into the GOP with working class white voters. So black and Hispanic working class voters are moving to the GOP. Do you really think they're going to stick around in a Democratic Party that pays off the student loans of women and gender studies students when these working class voters with no college degrees are stuck with the bill? Do you really think they're going to stick around? No, they're going to move further, more rapidly into the GOP. The Democratic Party is alienating itself from America. It's more and more out of touch. But those black and Hispanic working class voters have something in common beyond moving to the GOP. They're far less likely to talk to pollsters than most people. And among white voters, the least likely to talk to pollsters are Republicans. So it's becoming clear that there is a polling bias against the Democrats, as there always has been, but it's growing because the people more likely to vote Republican are not talking to pollsters. So you can get trend lines. You can see trend lines because trend lines go beyond the who are you voting for. And so in the trend lines, you can see black and Hispanic non-college educated voters are moving to the GOP. You can see Republicans are doing very well with married women who are white. You can see the more likely you are to have kids, the more likely you are to be a Republican. You can see these trends in the polling, even as it is right now. But you can't get an idea of the percentages of who the votes are for. I mean, registered voter polling has always historically benefited the Democrats by about five, maybe six points. No, that's not true. Four or five points. Likely voter polling has benefited the Democrats by two to three points. Well, now the likely voter polling may benefit the Democrats by like three or four points. Registered voters by five or six points. And all American voters by seven or eight points. Because the people most likely to vote Republican are not talking to pollsters. And at this time of year in particular, where they're on vacation or they're getting their kids back to school, they're not talking. So Henry Olson, he did this. And and again, it's worth pointing out. Let me read you this again. The results from 2014 with the exit polling cross-referenced to the opinion polling should temper Democrats' expectations. In 2014, longtime Democratic senators ran as much as nine points ahead of President Obama's job approval in their state, but most still lost despite significantly outrunning the president. No Democrat in a contested race ran more than five points ahead of Obama. 
partisanship increased even more in the Trump era. Nine Republican candidates in the 16 most contested Senate races in 2018 and 2020 ran within just two points of Trump's job approval. Another four ran within three or four points. The data strongly suggests that the fate of this year's Democratic Senate nominees, like those of years past, is tied to the president's job approval. The president's or the party's Senate candidates likely will run a couple of points ahead of that figure. They may even run five points ahead of it. But that's scant comfort when Biden's national job approval is languishing around 41 percent. The pro-Democratic argument also ignores how dramatically state polls have exaggerated Democratic strength. The 538 final projections in 2020 for close states all overestimated the Democratic performance when compared with the actual results. Most of the errors were large, including 2.3 points in Arizona and a whopping 7.7 points in Wisconsin. Similar errors in this election would erase Democrats' current polling leads in most states. This year's bout of Democratic optimism sounds familiar because it's the similar case of liberal analysts making the case in 2014. Back then, Democrats argued that their moderate incumbents would win and that President Obama's polling was recovering. It's true. We're seeing echoes of this again. And now the Democrats, because they believe the polling, they're making bad mistakes. The student loan debt forgiveness program is a terrible mistake. The smugness of people like Jennifer Granholm coming on television and telling the poor people of America they got to go buy electric vehicles to save money and insulate and weatherize their houses and get heat pumps that they can't afford and that are backordered, they can't get because of the supply chain, that, oh, if only you poors will go out and get a new heat pump, you'll save some money. We've given you a tax credit that you can take advantage of when you file taxes next year when you don't have any money right now. These are not arguments that persuade independent voters. They may rally portions of the Democratic base, but those people are going to show up anyway. And the polling suggests the Democratic measure of strength is vastly overcounted. And if that is the case, Republicans aren't just going to take the House. They're going to take the Senate. Now, how do I know that they're taking the House of Representatives like it's definitive? I'll tell you when I come back. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some in our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bowling Branch where is they were just like too light and also not very soft. The Bowling Branch, they're perfect. The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bowling Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from twin to California king. You will feel the difference. And they're 100% free from toxins. No pesticides, no formaldehyde, no harsh chemicals. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Got an email from Harold. Harold says, Tucker Carlson 
started his show last night by calling Donald Trump the orange man. Hmm. All right. Let's go to a phone call. Carlos, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How are you? Good. How are you? Great, great. Uh, prayers to your family. And, Thank you uh, very much. Uh, listen to you every day. So uh, really appreciate everything you, you talk about. And I wanted to get your opinion on something. So <clears throat> I think that the Democrats are actually, everything they're doing is pointing to trying to give Trump to actually run, not not to run. So um, <clears throat> then Liz Cheney just kind of dropped the, the bomb and kind of said, you know, she could possibly run, right? So is there a chance that the Democrats, knowing how bad Biden is, could actually back her in the primaries and knock off any Republican, especially if it's Trump, and get all the money that she needs to, to run a campaign and actually pull it off? I, is, I, is that so, a possibility? I mean, it's never say never on this, but, you know, there's actually some polling data out today that shows that uh, if Liz Cheney ran for president, she would take votes from Joe Biden, not from Donald Trump, uh, would actually hurt hmm. Joe Biden. Uh, if she ran in a Republican primary, the problem is uh, the Democrats are probably going to have a contested primary in, in 2024. Biden probably isn't going to run. So Democrats aren't going to cross over to help Liz Cheney when they themselves have to try to get across the finish line. Uh, Jim, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. I was wondering if you could explain why there are Democratic pollsters and there are Republican polling groups and why either one of them can't fix the problem that they know exists, why they can't fix the problem with inaccurate polling. Oh, excellent question. Okay, so the reason there are is because, for example, Democrats don't want to give money to a Republican consultant, and Republicans don't want to give money to a Democratic consultant. So you have polling firms that derive out of the left and out of the right uh, that work with partisan ideologies. Now, there are independent pollsters as well that you can hire. Mason-Dixon uh, is an independent polling group. Gallup as well has no partisan ideology, but typically Democrats work with Democrats, Republicans work with Republicans, uh, and they are incentivized to do so by their party leadership. So Republican, uh, the NRC or the RNC and the DNC want you to use them. Now, why can't they fix the problem? Well, they can, but it is hyper expensive. To get a 1,500-person sample in Florida for a poll, you got to call 136,000 people. That takes a lot of time and energy, particularly if you want to get a poll done in two or three days. That's a lot of phone calling. It costs a lot of money. If you want to do a live operator call, those are better than robocalls. That costs even more money. It's very expensive to do. So behind the scenes, Republicans and Democrats spend a lot of money on private polling they do not share that Actually, they can, to some degree, fix the problems. The media, however, doesn't have the budget and the money to do it. So the public polling that you see is never as accurate as the private polling Democrats and Republicans do. But there is a problem in that regard as well you got to keep in mind, and that is increasingly Republican voters don't talk to pollsters. You can't make someone talk to a pollster. So you have to call a higher number of people to get an accurate sampling of the Republican vote. And then if you talk to a pollster, you're more likely to be voting against someone. So if you're a Republican, you you may actually be one of those Republicans voting against the GOP. 
So you got to be you got to be real careful as a pollster and and do a deeper dive, asking more thorough questions with a longer survey, which drives up the cost. It is possible. Brian Kemp, uh, his primary election polling wound up being almost on the nose of what happened, uh, and so you can get good polls. But that polling is very expensive and very hard to come by and takes a long time to do. And the public polling we all rely on is far less accurate today than it ever has been as a result. Do not forget, if you text the word SHOW to 33777, you can get the uh, links to the podcast, the live stream, and also the email that you should subscribe to so you get the daily show notes. Uh, when the internet is working at home. <laughs> um, I'm on the road today. Philip got everything done, thankfully. But text SHOW to 33777. And also, if you hear an odd voice filling in, a familiar voice, filling in for Ben Shapiro later today, that would be me. Um, he is um, <laughs> um, he is not doing great. Um, okay. He lost his voice. Reached out to me last night. Uh, his producer did and say, hey, could you could you take over? So, yeah, today and tomorrow, in for Ben Shapiro. I got to talk about something. I actually, so I actually, just full disclosure, pre-recorded part of that last night because I have a event I've got to do for Rich McCormick this evening. And I want to play you some audio from this. This is CNN. This is CNN. I feel like I should have James Earl Jones in here with me to say that. But just listen to this. Only 24 seconds. There is a lot of pessimism out there in this survey. This is from the National Association of Business Economics. And check this out. They 19% say that the U.S. economy is already in a recession. That is a staggering figure. Also, a whole bunch more think in the next few quarters. You add this up, that's 53%. Together, 72% say the U.S. economy is either in a recession or headed there very soon. All right. We're either in or headed for a recession. In or headed for a recession. Now, on top of that, on top of that, let's play this from Congressman Andy Barr from TV last uh, night before last, actually. Look, everybody b- believes that uh, people should pay their taxes, but the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office looking at this legislation, this reconciliation bill, this Inflation Expansion Act, says that $20 billion of these audits are going to come at the expense of low and middle income Americans. When when Joe Biden and his campaign promised the American people that, oh, taxes were not going to go up for people earning less than $400,000, that was a lie. This bill is going to come at the expense of the American people. Raising taxes on energy producers, job creators, and people trying to save for retirement in the middle of a recession, I don't know for the life of me why they think that's a winning strategy uh, in in a situation where Americans uh, can't afford gas, they can't afford groceries. Uh, Heck, moms can't even get baby formula right now. Yes, that's the problem. And they're not solving any of these problems. They're, they're, They're actually not solving the problems. So let me let me play you uh, a couple of other data points here, one of which this is from Jared Bernstein. He's the White House chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. He's with Martha McCallum. Now, as I've told you, uh, what do companies do when you raise the corporate tax rate? 
they actually, your immediate response is probably, as it used to be for me, uh, they raise prices. And yes, that's true, but that's the third thing they do. They do two other things first because they don't like to raise prices because that can impact sales. Well, So there are two other things co- corporations do before they raise prices. The first is they slow or stop pay raises. So in the middle of inflation, as people need cost of living adjustments, they suddenly don't get them. The second thing they do is they freeze hiring, and we're already seeing this happen with major companies. It's not that they lay people off. They'll eventually, but what they do first is they just stop hiring. They don't fill open positions, and we're already seeing that happen. And then the third thing is they raise prices. This is Jared Bernstein with Martha McConnell. This is, by the way, data not in dispute, widely regarded and recognized by academics, economists across the board, regardless of political ideology. Corporations do these things in this order when taxes are raised. They stop cost of living adjustments, they stop hiring, and then they raise prices. Um, Do you think that when interest rates go up and taxes for corporations go up, that they decide to hire fewer people? Not necessarily. There are Come much on. more. That, there's much more. That, <laughs> I mean, much how many more, people no, do you wait, know that run businesses who, who say, like, oh, my taxes are going up. I'm going to hire more people? Yeah, we've actually seen very little correlation between changes, particularly uh-huh. at the very high end of the corporate tax rate and uh, uh, almost any economic variable that's uh, of importance to middle class families, whether it's taxes or wages or, or, uh, uh, or I mean, sorry, whether it's jobs or wages. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons is because the tax hike that you're talking about, one of them that you're referring to, is a 15 percent minimum corporate tax rate that only hits corporations over a billion dollars of profit who aren't paying uh, the requisite corporate tax rate, which is already 21 percent below that of the top personal income rate. All right. So, so you're these talking about a marginal- that talk to PwC, they all disagree with you. Yep, they all do disagree. They all do disagree. Economists outside the White House disagree. Now, listen, Bernstein's doing his job for this White House, but there's another fundamental problem here. It's a fundamental problem. Let's let's say the White House is right. Just hypothetically, we're not actually in a recession. Now, here's here's what you got to understand. The reason the White House says, and intellectually honest of me, they have a fairly good argument. Bear with me. Listen to me before you get mad at me. Their argument has been that, yes, we typically use the definition two quarters negative economic growth. So by that definition, we're in a recession. That is the official definition in Great Britain, but it's never been the official definition here. And the reason they would argue we're not in a recession is because the declines are not across the board as they are in a recession. They're in certain sectors having some issues, seeing decline, but other sectors actually need workers. And people start layoffs during a recession. They don't actually need workers during a recession. That's that's what they say. That's what, that's what they claim. That's their argument. The problem is we're in an economy we haven't seen in a very long time with very high inflation, stagflation, if you will, market declines. You can have a recession that is particularly impacting a couple of sectors, and we're seeing that. In fact, the housing sector, home builders say they're in a recession. They've seen two quarters now in decline. The average sale price for a house, according to Zillow, has now declined. 
that's not a good sign for a strong economy. Walmart is laying people off right now. Walmart has begun layoffs. That's not a good sign. Other companies in other sectors beginning layoffs. They've already stopped hiring. Now they're starting layoffs. That suggests we are, if not immediately in, on the cusp of a recession. Now here's the problem for Biden. You couldn't see it because it's radio. But in the CNN audio, 72% of economists say the U.S. is in or about to be in a recession. Where do the majority of the economists put their finger down? They say we're either in or about to be in a recession. Where do most of them bet the recession begins? Most of them do not actually think we are currently in a recession. Where do the business economists of America think we're going to be in one? First quarter, 2023. First quarter of 2023. That is January, February, March of next year. That is, as Joe Biden is beginning the real decision of do I run again for office? We're in a recession. Now, here's the thing you need to understand about recessions. They tend to come about a year after the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, so we can kind of figure out, yeah, we're we're going to be in a recession about then because of where the um, Fed started raising interest rates. But here's the other thing you need to know about a recession. One can last not long, although most economists think we're going to be in one for a prolonged period of time. It's not going to be an immediate thing. Most economists think we're going to be in more of one than what we otherwise uh, would have. But wait, there's more. It tends to take about two quarters, that is six months, for people to psychologically move beyond a recession. It takes people some time to decide that we're out of a recession. So you can be out of a recession and you yourself, this is really important here, you yourself can understand that your position in life has improved. But you've got to remind yourself of that because you don't see other people's lot in life improving. And only when you see other people's lot in life improving do you decide the recession is over. You've got to keep that in mind. It's very important that you can't get out of a recession until people psychologically believe they are out of a recession. And so many Americans right now believe they are in a recession. We pretty much are in a recession. We've thought our way into one, even if economically we're not there. We're certainly headed into one economically, but people think we're already there. Now, I played this audio before, and it needs to be played again. In 1980, Ronald Reagan came into office. We had stagflation, very high interest rates, an economy not doing well, high gas prices. And Ronald Reagan and Paul Volcker, then the chairman of the Federal Reserve, decided we've done all the other things we can to fight inflation. We need to think different. Back then, believe it or not, right now it's taken as truth that to fight inflation you raise interest rates. That's what the Fed does now. But until Paul Volcker did it in 1980-81, it was brand new. Reagan and Volcker decided we got to skyrocket in uh, interest rates to crash inflation. And that it will provoke a recession. But if we raise interest rates really high, real quick, we'll force a quick recession. It'll be a painful recession. But we'll get over it quickly. We'll get over it before 1984 and Ronald Reagan's reelection. And so 1981, 1982 were brutal economically for Ronald Reagan. 
And the Republicans were dinged pretty badly in 1982. They were able to barely hold the Senate. Remember, they got these accidental senators elected in 80. So they were able to hold the Senate until 84. They lost it in 84, even though Reagan got reelected. They were able to get a tax reform plan done, restructure the American tax code. Interest rates were able to drop pretty quickly. And the economy rebounded. And Ronald Reagan, the economy was rebounding. And their polling at the beginning of 1984 showed a lot of Americans feel like the economy is better for themselves but not for their neighbors. And they need to be reminded that we're out of this terrible, awful situation that inflation had caused. And so his ad team, led by a guy you might know, Roger Ailes, who went on to run Fox News, came up with this ad. I've played it before. you got to hear it again. It's worth playing this advertisement because of how powerful it was. It defined the Reagan administration. It's morning again in America. Today, more men and women will go to work than ever before in our country's history. With interest rates at about half the record highs of 1980, nearly 2,000 families today will buy new homes, more than at any time in the past four years. This afternoon, 6,500 young men and women will be married. And with inflation at less than half of what it was just four years ago, they can look forward with confidence to the future. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were less than four short years ago? That's morning. one of the most famous... TV ads for a politician ever made. It completely reset the debate in 1984, where Reagan had asked, are you better off than you were four years ago? He, he's, he was able to say that now, and people remembered it. And here's the problem for Biden and the Democrats. If a recession does hit in 2023, it's we're still going to be feeling it. We're going to feel the effects in 2024. So you can have Republicans running in 2024 against an economy that has been or just coming out of a very tough recession. The Democrats are not going to be able to pivot to a morning again in America theme because we'll still be mourning M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. But then the Republican, whether or not they do anything economically to change the dynamic, the economy will be improving and it'll be the Republicans who get elected and get to take credit for it and get to reset to the economic narrative. The timing on this for Biden, well, God's got a sense of humor, does he not? My goodness. Patriot Mobile is one of those organizations, companies in America that are helping conservatives win. They take a portion of their profits and they advance the conservative cause with it. But to do it, they need you as a customer. In exchange, they give you guaranteed great service on your cell phone, data, voice, 5G, you name it. They've got detailed coverage maps down to your house. You can see how good the coverage is. What you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, and you can sign up for Patriot Mobile. You can also call them at 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You get great discounts. And you get to partner up with a company that wants your business and shares your values and is committed to the conservative movement from the pro-life cause to the Second Amendment. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or call them 972-PATRIOT. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. 
real quick, um, I, I need to mention someone 99% of you have never heard of, 99.8% of you have never heard of, Ed Christian. Ed Christian, uh, the president and CEO and chairman of the board of Saga Communications, uh, the last really locals-only radio company in America. Uh, he passed away unexpectedly yesterday. And I just got to say, I did not know him well, but that guy took time out of his day to make time for me on more than one occasion. It was deeply, deeply encouraging of what I'm doing right now. And uh, he will dearly be missed with so many radio companies in America now are owned by hedge funds and private equity. And he kept it local. Uh, he actually told me their entire business model is buy up radio stations in uh, college towns, military towns, and farm towns. And in college towns, you can do a variety of talk. You can do a lot of alt-rock music. In military towns, you have conservative talk radio and a lot of country music. And in farm towns, you do a lot of weather. You do a lot of local updates, and you keep everything very local in all those communities, and your radio grows. So the only radio company that paid a dividend and had a stable stock because he knew what he was doing and kept it all very local. They owned their buildings, they hired local talent, and they focused on local advertising. And just what a what a neat guy. Um, he will be dearly missed. Now, I got to tell you, uh, with all certainty, the Republicans are going to take back Congress, at least the House of Representatives. How do I know Anthony Fauci is retiring? Fauci is out uh, says it's time to move on, that COVID is now largely stable so he can move on since COVID is stabilizing, which is totally fine with me for him to be leaving, but I think it's notable that he's leaving in December. Why? Because in January, Republicans will take back the House of Representatives and they will have the Republican speaker and the Republican chairman of the committees who can call him up and question him at any time. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want to be held accountable by him. And so he wants to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible before the Republicans come. The fact that Fauci has announced his retirement now in August, that he's leaving in December of 2022, is official Washington coming to terms with the Republican House of Representatives. doesn't matter about the Senate. Assuming the voters show up and vote, the Republicans will take the House based on redistricting alone, and I suspect they'll pick up way more seats than just redistricting alone, but they're guaranteed to take it back at this point if Fauci's leaving. Uh, he's not a dumb guy, may not care for him, may not agree with him at all times, but he's not a dumb guy, and him doing this means he sees the writing on the walls, and it's not just him. I suspect we're going to begin to see a slow walk away from Washington for a number of people who don't want to be called up by Republicans and questioned in Congress. I wouldn't be surprised if Christopher Wray decides to bail on the FBI, among other things. Now, when we come back, we need to talk about this new book by an NPR reporter. Uh, Mary Catherine Ham, a friend of mine, has written a review of this book, and it's very notable that this reporter admits Everyone kind of knew all along they were about to screw your kids' education, and they didn't care because they were scared of COVID. we got to talk about the implications of all of this when we come back. <laughs> 